to encourage you to turn to Daniel 9 as we look at this chapter this evening under the title, Transforming Prayer. In the incident of Daniel being placed in the lion's den because he wouldn't obey the, the ruling of the king that only prayer should be made to the king, it shows us something of the commitment of Daniel to prayer. He prayed three times a day. But now in this chapter 9, we are allowed to go inside, as it were, his quiet place, to go inside and just to see what was part of his prayer life. And it is a fantastic chapter to teach us so much about praying. But I want us to consider, first of all, the reasons for the prayer in verses 1 to 3. It is believed that Daniel was maybe just about 14 years of age when he was taken as a captive to Babylon. And by the time we come here to chapter 9, Daniel has been here for about 68 years. He's now a man in his early 80s. It's a time of great uncertainty. You remember King Belshazzar, the one who had the writing on the wall? Well, he has died suddenly. And not only does Daniel have a new king called Darius, who's now ruling, he also has a new nation of media that is ruling over them. What will the future hold? It seemed very uncertain. And Daniel turns to the Scriptures to find hope, to find security. And in reading, he discovers something wonderful. We see here in verse 2 that he read from the prophet Jeremiah that the time of the desolations of Jerusalem, the length of time in which Jerusalem would be destroyed and desolate, would be about 70 years. Now, where that came from are two chapters in the book of Jeremiah, and we'll see them on the screen here. First of all, Jeremiah 25, verse 11, 12 says, "'This whole land shall become a ruin and waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years.'" Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And this is what he's done. Belshazzar, who saw the writing on the wall, he was the last of the Babylonian kings. And now the rule has been taken away from the Babylonians. So, Daniel is realizing the time is coming when Jeremiah's prophecy would be fulfilled. Jeremiah 29 is the next one we see here. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Do you see that last part? You'll call upon me and pray to me, and I will hear you. And that's what Daniel is now holding to his heart as he comes to the Lord in prayer. The time of the Babylonians has ended. Now is a new era for the people of God. But there is little or no sign at this time of the Israelites being allowed to return to Jerusalem. Daniel prays, though, because of his understanding of the plans and the will of God to change that situation. 
Daniel is praying here not to accomplish his own desires, but he prayed so that the purpose of God, the purposes revealed in the Scriptures, would be accomplished. And is this our understanding of what prayer is? Prayer is the, the main means by which the purposes of God are fulfilled. Prayer is the main means by which we can be involved in God's will being done here on earth. Daniel knew what to pray for because of his study of Scripture. And it's when the Scriptures permeate, work through our thinking, and work through our praying. It's then we'll pray according to God's will. It's then we'll begin to see real answers to our prayers as we pray for that which is important to God. In verse 3, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel prayed because of the Word of God, but he also prayed because he was so burdened for the situation. Fasting, going without food for a period of time, sackcloth and ashes, signs of mourning and grief and humility. Daniel was so serious about this, so serious about prayer. He knew the importance of it. He knew about coming before the Lord humbly. We have so much to learn if we want to see God moving in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our land, in our world. So much to learn from Daniel. Let the Word of God shape our praying, and let's have such a commitment and burden that he had for the place of prayer the reasons for the prayer. And then we see, secondly, the content of the prayer in verses 4 to 19. And it begins there in verse 4 with confession of sin. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly. One of the things that stands out as you read the book of Daniel is to see his, his life of such integrity, his faithfulness to God. You, you never read of Daniel doing anything wrong. And yet here he openly confesses his sin. He identifies with the sin of his people. He, he wasn't openly a sinful person, but he knew his own heart. And he also didn't see himself separate from his people and what they have done. If you look there in verse 5 again, in verse 6, he says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in the name of our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. There are three aspects of the sin there. They've rebelled against God and His rule over them. They don't let God rule over them. They refuse to live according to the commandments of God. And they refuse to listen to the voice of God as He spoke through the prophets. Now, here we have a people who happily consider themselves as being God's people. But they thought they could be God's people and live as they please. They thought they could be God's people and not let God rule over them. They thought they could be God's people and not obey His commandments. 
They thought they could be God's people and not listen to His voice through the prophets. In verses 6 and 8, the rulers are particularly singled out for their sin in this. And the sin of the leaders was, was more serious because they had greater responsibility and the decisions they take would impact in the lives of others. You think of Putin, of how the decisions he made impacts others. And we need to be aware of that, that even on a smaller scale within the church, for those of us who are leaders as elders or in organizations, we need to understand that what we do, we have greater responsibility, and we can have an impact, a greater impact on those around us in what we do. In verse 8, we read this here. To us, O Lord, belongs our shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Notice that. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, is the way the ESV translates it here. The result of their sin was shame. Here is a people who should have been a glorious witness to the nations about the greatness of God. Here are people who should have been living in prosperity in Jerusalem and in the area around it. Here are people now in a shameful state of captivity. Always remember this. Sin in the end brings shame. Sin promises so much, but it brings shame upon the individual, upon a family, a church, a nation. So as Daniel started to change things by confessing his own sin and being an example in prayer for others. So that's the first thing, confession of sin. The second thing is acknowledging God's righteousness in verse 11. Daniel acknowledges that what has happened to the people is their own fault. He says there in verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. Now, the people had been warned on many occasions that if they sinned, if they turned away from the Lord, if they worshipped idols, the Lord would punish them. He would take them away from the land. We'll not read it now, but there, Deuteronomy 28, there are so many passages there warning them that they would be taken into captivity if they didn't listen to the voice of God, if they sinned and went after idols. But they refused to listen. And we read there in verse 14, Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works He has done, and we have not obeyed His voice. Daniel is saying what the Lord has done in taking these people from Jerusalem, many of them dying in those battles, taking them from there and punishing them, and now they're being slaves in terrible conditions in Babylon. The Lord was doing what was right. The Lord was giving to them what they deserved. You know, we can be too casual in our attitude to sin. We can think we can play with sin. The attitude of many can be, I'm a Christian, God loves me, and if I sin, I can always confess it, I can ask for forgiveness, and God will not do anything against me, all will be okay. But if that's your attitude, think again. Verse 14 there says, the Lord did not hesitate 
to bring disaster upon us. The Lord hates sin with a vengeance. So never think that us committing a, a wee sin is a trivial thing in the eyes of God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He hates sin. But God's righteousness is not just seen in punishment here, the punishment that He promised, but it's also seen in the forgiveness that He promised. Verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from the city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, he's acting, he's asking that the God who has punished these people in righteousness will now forgive them in righteousness. Now, why is it the righteous thing for God to forgive them? Why is it required of God to forgive them if they turn back to God? Well, the answer is because God has promised He would forgive them. Jeremiah 29 again says this, For thus says the Lord, when seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, the Lord didn't have to promise any of that. The Lord could have let them just go in their sin and in the end disappear in Babylon over the years. But what the Lord lovingly did, He closed Himself in with this promise. He made it an obligation upon Himself. By saying He would do this, by saying He would bring these people back, if He's going to continue to be this righteous God who does what is right, He has to keep His word. He has to keep His promise. Isn't that lovely? In His righteousness, He would punish them. But in His righteousness, doing the right thing, He will do what He promised and bring them back. And you know, when God promises He's tied to those promises. There's great hope for the unbeliever. If the unbeliever will come to the Lord and confess their sin and seek His forgiveness and trust in Jesus, they have to be forgiven because God has promised. And equally, Christian, when we mess up, when we sin, and we come back to the Lord and confess our sins, He will forgive us. He will cleanse us when we come back to the Lord. He has to not because we deserve it, but because He has promised. And He will always do what He has promised because He is righteous. The next thing in this prayer is a desire for God's glory in verses 17 to 20. Let's read those verses together. 
and just want to highlight a few things as we read this. Verse 17, now therefore, O Lord, oh, now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own name's sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And Daniel is calling upon the Lord to act because his name has been dishonored by what has happened to these people. And the Lord knew that, but the Lord was willing to ha let it happen because he was so angry against these people and they needed to be cleansed of sin. But now Daniel is saying, Lord, for the honor of your name, the city and the people who carry your name, bring them back so that you will be glorified once more. Sinclair Ferguson, speaking of Daniel, says, the bottom line of his heart cry was, save your people, Lord, for your own name's sake. Only when that phrase is present in our hearts and not merely in our words have we been mastered by true motive. So when we want God to act for His name's sake, for His glory, for His honor, when that is truly a desire of our hearts, when we've come to know the Lord in that way, that's when we really have begun to have a right motive. Alistair Beggs said something similar. He says, people burdened by a loss of God's glory coming together to pray is the foundation of prayer. People burdened by a loss of God's glory coming together is the foundation of prayer. Daniel loved God. Daniel realized God was marvelous, glorious, wonderful. It hurt him to the core that his God was being dishonored by what has happened to his people. And so, for the honor of God's name, he wanted Jerusalem to be rebuilt. He wanted the temple to be rebuilt. He wanted the people back there. It should be out of a burden for God's glory that we want to see revival, that we want to see children brought into our Sunday school and our BB and GB. We want to see families and young people and older people back into church. It should be not to build Brookside up. The name of Brookside ultimately doesn't matter. What matters is the name of Jesus. We want to see Jesus honored and glorified. That should be a great cause for our prayer. The content of the prayer confession, acknowledging God's righteousness, desire for God's glory. And very quickly, the answer to the prayer in verses 20 to 27. And the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel with an answer to his prayer even before he has finished praying. In verse 23, it says, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. In other words, as soon as Daniel 
began praying, a word went out from the Lord to act and for His will to be done. There's that wee passage in Revelation 8 which speaks about the prayers of God's people going to heaven and thunder and lightning coming from heaven. It's as we pray into heaven's glory, God acts. Gabriel speaks about events then which will happen over a period of 70 weeks or 77s. Now, there's a lot of debate about this, but the 77s is broken into three periods. The first seven sevens, and then 62 sevens, and finally one seven. So, seven sevens, 62 sevens, and one seven, if my maths is still right, that should add up to 70. But the, the important thing is there are three main events which Gabriel tells Daniel which are going to happen. And we'll just mention these very briefly. First of all, he speaks about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. In the first period of seven sevens, Jerusalem would be rebuilt. And I think these sevens are symbolic of God's perfect timing. At the end of verse 25, we read this. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. This was all Daniel wanted to know about. This was only a little part of what's revealed him, but this is what dear to him, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. After the first seven sevens, there would be a period of 62 sevens, and when nothing is said to happen, but then when the 62 sevens is over, there are two more events which are going to happen. So, the rebuilding after seven sevens or seven weeks, and then 62 weeks, and then in the last week, there are two things that are going to happen. And the week is a, a week of years, symbolic. There would be, first of all, the coming of Christ. Look there at verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. This clearly refers to the work of Jesus, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Of course, that refers to Jesus and what He would do on the cross. The bringing of the Jews back to Jerusalem was symbolic of God bringing His people back to Himself. It was God preparing the way for what Christ was going to do. It says in that verse 24, to seal up both vision and prophet. Hebrews once tells us that Jesus is this final great revelation of God. Jesus is this final great prophet who the apostles would write what He has said. It speaks about anointing a most holy place. That is speaking about the holy of holies in Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 9 speaks of how Jesus has passed through the curtain, not into the temple in Jerusalem, but into heaven itself to present Himself as an offering for sin. You remember what the tabernacle and the temple were all about? They were all about God dwelling with man. 
this tabernacle in the center of the camp of the people of Israel in the wilderness was God living with His people. Likewise with the temple in Jerusalem. And this is God's great plan. This is why Jesus would come. This is why Jesus would present Himself as a sacrifice into heaven itself. That we could be a people who could come and live with God forever. And that will find completion. Not in a temple in Jerusalem, but when Jesus comes again and heaven and earth is joined and God dwells with mankind in a way that He's never dwelt before. And so the great passion of God and the reason why Jesus has come and to deal with sin is so that sinners like you and me could dwell with this holy God forever. That's His passion. And the third thing would be the destruction of the temple. The end of verse 26, it speaks about it and says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come of a flood, and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half that week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offerings. In AD 70, about 40 years after Jesus died, the Romans came and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, and it has never been rebuilt. Why? Because it is needed no more. God has a temple here on earth now. Where is God's temple here on earth? If you are a Christian, look in the mirror and you'll see God's temple. You are His temple. God's Spirit lives within you. You are to be a, a person. You're to be a place of worship, of offering, of devotion to the Lord. And the reason why the temple in Jerusalem was allowed by the Lord to be destroyed is because it's replaced by God dwelling in the hearts of His people in a richer and fuller way than ever was experienced in the Old Testament. Daniel prays for Jerusalem to be restored. What he is told, yes, it's going to be rebuilt. There's a Savior coming now. The temple will be destroyed after he comes because God is going to dwell within the hearts of, a pe of his people in a way that he never did before. And the coming of the Spirit enables that. You see what happened here? Daniel's thinking and his praying was quite small. It was just about Jerusalem being restored and the people brought back to Jerusalem. But as he prays, he's taking into the very depths of God's will, God's plans, God's purposes, in a way which he probably didn't understand. But we can see more clearly because we live after the coming of Jesus. But do you see what happens? When you go to the place of prayer with an open Bible, you never know the depths and the glory to which the Lord will take you. 
Oh, there are quiet times. It should be such a place of adventure with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, forgive us our sin. Forgive us for our sin of neglecting our time alone with you. Let us learn from your servant, Daniel. And Father, let us learn just that there is so much potential. Father, when we come before you with humble hearts, with open Bibles and praying hearts, take us into the depths of you, not to make us intelligent, not to make us wiser than other people, but that we would be worshipers of the living God, that we would be those becoming your holy people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.